Welcome to Truly Rotten Potatoes. This is Australia's hardest podcast where every episode we watch one of the films from Wikipedia's list of films with a 0% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. We analyze them and we decide whether or not they deserve the moniker of Truly Rotten. I'm your host, Declan Shrub, and I am joined here by some of my commercial partners. Firstly, this episode is sponsored by Mr. Hayden Quinn. Yeah, look, it's good to be here and good to finally put my name and money where my mouth is. I'm really proud to be sponsoring this episode. If, if you want to check out my website, haydenquinn.com, I used to be a contestant on MasterChef. Um, you can buy spatulas and, well, that's all I've delved into yet. But again, I'm really pleased to sort of move away from the hosting of this show because I was pretty sick of doing it and um, hopefully see some money come back into my pocket now. So cheers, Declan. Thanks, Hayden. And similarly, my surname is also Quinn. And no, it's not a coincidence. I am the brother of Hayden. Yeah, big move to step down as the host of Truly Rotten Potatoes, but just had to get my CD stacker collection up and running again. Um, If you are interested, I've got many guitar-shaped CD stackers. I keep them at the the top of the staircase, inexplicably. Um, That's just where I keep them. Um, they're on Gumtree, they're available. Also visit HaydenQuinn.com to find those and other great MasterChef-related products. Yeah, that's good, because I, I didn't know that we were hosting that on my website. No, yeah. So that's interesting. I talked to um, Joey about that okay. and sorted it out. Yeah, I, di- I didn't know you had Joey's number either, so this is all a bit of a surprise. Thanks, Morgan. Yeah. And hold on, what's that I hear? Is it an advertisement coming our way? Why, it's Mitch Gosling. Hidden host right here. Yeah, you tried to get rid of me last week because I didn't like that Eddie Murphy movie. But I'm back, baby. I'm back. I'm hocking I'm hocking John Ham movies. I'm hocking hams for the man. Thanks, Mitch. We're glad that you weren't fired. Uh, in this episode, we will be talking about a film from 2009 called Stolen, a.k.a. Stolen Lives, with a leading performance from our man John Ham from Mad Men. Um, And aside from our commercial partners, we're also joined today by a very special guest. Some may know him from his part as half of the ARIA award-winning multi-platinum massive headlining electronic duo Peking Duck. Some may know him as the co-author of a children's book. Others may know him from his new musical endeavor, You're Only Great Always or Yoga. But I think he's perhaps best known as the bass player in indie rock band with the Conway Brothers. This is a guy who's in every band except the Rubens. It's Ruben from Rubicon. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. Good intro, man. And and it's well deserved. That was great. I'm feeling very special to have that. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for coming on Australia's Toughest Podcast. We know that you're into the the music stuff, but um, this is movies. This is a change of pace for a guy like you. So we've put you through the ringer. We've made you watch a movie no one's seen or heard of, <laughs> and uh, and it stars John Hamm. I was wondering where, how the fuck did you find this? It's so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> where does this whole concept come from? Well, Tell me. We, we have this list. It's a Wikipedia list, and that's our Bible, and it has every movie that got no positive reviews from critics, every, like, major release. I think you have to have at least 20 proper reviews from critics, so you have to have at least, like, a proper cinematic release, and then we go through and we watch every single one. We've, like, decided on this, on this hellhole. Wow. Yeah, I, there was a point last night where I was trying to play it, and I didn't have VLC updated and I didn't know how to play it because QuickTime couldn't read the file. And then I decided, <laughs> okay, I'll just rent it off iTunes or I'll rent it off Google Play. No, no, no. This movie doesn't even exist to rent. You can't buy it even if you try. This movie does, like seemingly doesn't exist anywhere and somehow you guys have a download of it. <laughs> that in itself just made me so excited. Yeah. So this is a fortunate movie for us because it's it's fairly recent. Like it's it's in the age that movies are watchable. You know, nothing before 1990 is a watchable movie. We all know that. It's in the age where movies don't disappear. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and fortunately, it's like a tight 90 minutes because some of the movies we watch are over two hours. Like oh, n- n- no. I can do 90 minutes standing on my head nowadays, especially with a VLC and maybe a 1.5 time speed if I really have mm. to. How did you watch this movie? What was the situation that you found yourself watching this movie? I was in hotel quarantine and I still am. And I was uh, 
trying to put it on last night so that I could watch it with my partner. Uh, lucky I'm sharing my quarantine space with someone. I'd be in a much darker mood right now otherwise. But um, yeah, it's mm. uh, it was mm. it was really hard to get it just going, even though I had the downloaded file ready in front of me. So I brought my sort of speakers and whole system with me. Uh, got a full studio pretty much up here, and so I just plugged it into that, and we've been watching movies off that. But yeah, it took a good thirty minutes of figuring things out before I was like, "Oh, VLC! I haven't used it in ages. You just got to update it." And it <laughs> seemed to work after that. But by that stage, we kind of just wanted to go to sleep. So I've just watched it right now. <laughs> so it's fresh in your mind. That's good to hear. Uh, just just without giving anything away, uh, anything in the plot away. Initial impressions, like, like, did it engage you? Were you in and out? What did you think? I just can't believe an all-star cast like this. I know, that's what got me. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica Chastain, uh, John Hamm, the ham man himself, <laughs> the madman. Oh, God. And it just somehow doesn't exist. Don't forget James Van Der Beek, right. Dawson oh, from Dawson's Dawson. Creek. Who could forget? <laughs> Sorry, Mitch, did you have a uh, way that you wanted to structure this episode? Yeah. I think because this movie, let's be honest, does not have a whole lot happening in it, it's it's pretty slow. Things sort of happen pretty slowly. I feel like we could go through the plot summary on, on uh, Wikipedia and just stop me if you've got something that you need to address. Well, I'll stop you because um, this wasn't run through me first. And, and <laughs> as a sort of sponsor of the show now, uh, I would have expected to see an email in my inbox like maybe at least seven days prior to the recording. So I'm, I feel put out is basically where I'm coming from. But go ahead. No, it's a good, no, it's a good idea, Mitch. Go for it. Go uh, on. Before you, I, I need to stop you as well. You said there's not much going on. This is action-packed. This is one of the greatest films I've ever seen, and you're already dissing it, so let's see how you go. Just like last week. Well, what I'll say is the the Wikipedia summary is possibly one of the best written uh, Wikipedia summaries I've ever seen of a film. Uh, uh, you know, you want to refresh it before you, you do something like this. You, you want to remember all the details, and instead you get something filtered through the mind of a stranger and I, may, maybe that pulled a bit of focus because yeah as you mentioned Ruben it, it is an action-packed thrill ride a lot happens uh, I guess um, so I guess let's start with our main character John Hamm and we should say this is John Hamm not when he was like a nobody not before he was famous this is like two or three seasons into Mad Men <laughs> he's well known he's not doing this like for the money or something He's starring in this movie. This is one of his first big leading roles. And he has a bad haircut. He does have a that's bad haircut. That's the first thing I want to say. <laughs> he, he has really a terrible haircut. And I think that's that's made so much clearer because his hair is always so on point in Mad Men, right? Like it's perfect <laughs> yeah. at all times. Well, this is his character, right? I mean, he gets into character based on how good or bad his hair is. It's <laughs> the only way he was able to commit to this performance. Do you feel like maybe that was part of the the intrigue to him the reason he took the role was yeah. he was like i'll take it but i'm not gelling my hair back i'm not going through hair and makeup every day but john you can have any hair you want you mean i can have bad hair i can have bad hair is that what you're saying <laughs> who what was the director's name again that was like a, it, it sounded like it was john first. cleese by the sounds of your impression <laughs> <laughs> it was anders anderson okay anders anderson honestly he looks like he uh was just kind of keen to uh, ditch any kind of aspect of, hey, we've got a makeup artist, we're going to look after you. He was like, no, disheveled I'm really good at. you got to see my disheveled. <laughs> that's right. Disheveled detective, that's my speciality. <laughs> and he just looks like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you're famous for being handsome. And he's like, what if we change that? So the, that? the basic premise... No, no, sorry, Mitch, you were going through the wiki. Well, here's the thing. The first sentence is Tom Atkins Sr. is a police officer. No. <laughs> that's not how I'm... That's not how we're starting this plot summary. That's fair. Let, well, let's at least give the context. So it, it's a kind of classic crime movie where John Hamm is a detective, but his young child son has been kidnapped, gone missing, probably been murdered. Um, he's never found the body in eight years. And, you know, he's still, you know, you're still working, but you're 
you're traumatized and so you're like not really paying attention at work and you're expected to go on calls about other murders and things but you only care about your own missing son it's one of those movies but we're also flashing back to like the 50s over and over again and it's like a dual narrative that may or may not connect (laughs) yeah i would have loved it if they were like if the two narratives were not connected in any way and they just ended it's like well that was a weird movie did anyone get the feeling that it was uh you thought that the boy in the earlier one was him. Yeah, That's, absolutely. Yes. I agree. I'll, yeah. I'll be so perfectly long. honest. I didn't finish the movie, and so I still think <laughs> that. I, I, I had 15, 20 minutes left. Yeah. And so, but, look, I don't want to talk too much about what they were trying to do with that boy's character, whether or not he's like, meant to have uh, some sort of mental disability or intellectual disability, but that didn't fit with John Hamm's character unless he somehow just overcame No, one of the other boys. Yeah, well, see, that was me as well. Like, the first 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, that boy is Tommy, which is the main character, I think, right? And then, and then I was like, oh, wait, no, he's, um, he's retarded. Yeah. It might, it must be one of the other brothers. Yeah. And then I kept watching for another 20 minutes and I'm like, uh, hang on a second. No, but n- n- neither of the other brothers is called Tommy. Maybe he yeah. changed his name. Wait a minute. If it was 50 years ago, that would make Tommy f- like 63. 80 years no, old. it can't be. And then like, yeah, it all just fell apart for me. But it took me so long to put that together. Yeah. And I think that's the fault of the film. Yeah. I can't wait to see how these two stories link. This is going to be a real adventure. I, I was the same. I was sitting there with a, like, I take a couple notes just to remember the movie when we talk about it. And so I've got John Hamm's name and then I'm like, he's the, he, we're flashing back to him as a child and it's his dad with his brothers and stuff. And then as they keep naming the other brothers, I'm like, wait, which one's meant to be him? And it, yeah, about an hour in, you're like, okay, these, they're not him at all. It's a completely unrelated family from 60 years yeah. ago. <laughs> But and that's that's I guess the thing is that like typically when you're in present day and the first time you flash back to something you're like well clearly we're flashing back to the main protagonist's story yes. but they yeah it's just it's just kind of odd that they, they needed a better way of signaling that by the way here's a story of someone else yeah it's like well you know it's it's kind of like uh, groundbreaking directing like Tarantino yes. doesn't follow the rules you know <laughs> yeah. you are allowed to rewrite history if you like <laughs> yeah. and no one's going to complain if you become famous for doing that so if this guy the director he can now do that in any movie he can go back to a flashback if someone like closes their <laughs> eyes and it flashes back it, it no longer has to be anything to do with that guy's memory that's right. Absolutely, that's how, Ruben. That's absolutely. This this movie is very Tarantino-esque. You're <laughs> it is next bang, bang on the money. There's there's something about <laughs> as an audience member, you're watching this story and you're kind of into one part of it. You're like, oh, I hope John Hamm finds his son. Then you go to this 60 years ago and you're like, I guess I hope this guy finds a job. And you get into that for like 30 minutes and then you go back to John Hamm and you're like, who am I meant to be following yeah, here? Yeah. Like, I can't, I don't have enough sympathy in a bad movie to to be with two different characters. That's right. And I think the main character kind of slowly fused over to the guy from the 50s. Like, yeah, when someone said the main character was John Hamm, sorry to cut you off, but I was like, <laughs> no, was it? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Because I think the, the other guy got to do so much more and he acted it so much better. I mean, not not that John, ha- John Hamm's a bad actor, but he didn't really have much to do in this film, right? Yeah. Yeah, the other guy was the lead in my opinion. Right, agreed. Yeah, Josh Lucas plays the other lead and, and yeah, he would be probably gets more screen time, more lines, more dynamic scenes, more emotion. Acts really well, to be honest. Yeah. Do you reckon John Hamm was sitting there like, well, I want the lead role, but oh, that look, like I want top billing, but that is a juicy role. But no, you know what it was? He's like, I'm not being in the 60s again. I'm not playing another. I want a 100%. modern day yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it yeah. was. He, he broke the mold. Put me in the future, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh Lucas, who I think he's best known for, Sweet Home Alabama, Red Dog, uh, but he was also in another movie, uh, which he was the main villain in, I think, uh, which is called... Stolen. <laughs> oh my god. Fuck off. That's wild. Stars Nicolas Cage. Oh wow. It came out three years later. Oh. <laughs> that was the only stolen that was available, by the way, for me to rent online. You're like, oh yeah, same guy. <laughs> and so I did rent it. 
and it was not the right thing. Oh. <laughs> but it was another Josh Lucas movie, and you're like, this is yeah. pretty good too. Perfect. <laughs> I'm wondering if, like, maybe, like, his agent accidentally signed off on Stolen twice. And like, didn't I fucking sign this one? All right, yeah, sure, he's committed. <laughs> he's like, oh, they're reshooting that bad movie? I'll do it again. <laughs> Yeah, so, so so we start with the movie starts with uh, John Hamm. He's with his kid in some diner. He says, "Hey, kid, stay there. I'm going to the bathroom." Comes back out. His kid's gone. Runs outside. Where the fuck's my kid? Oh my god! Yeah, that's the setup. So the kid the kid says, "I want I want to get a balloon," and he's like, "How about you just sit there for a second? And and for some reason he gets gifted this whistle as well, which is like an important item that comes yeah, back. That never Was made it, sense. Is it? The, does John Hamm give the whistle to his kid or does the lady at the diner give it to them? Yeah, man. Was it the same diner? Because I think so. That comes, yeah, well, yeah. So it was a promotional thing for, for that diner then, a promotional it, whistle. It's a, yeah, it's the same diner. Yeah. So, and there was a scene where they went, there, it was the same bar as well, right? Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Oh, there, there was actually a scene where John Hamm is at the bar and it pans down the bar and then the characters from the 50s are at the other That's end right. of the bar. Yeah. Mid-shot. Yeah, yeah, changes yeah. colour yeah. like mid-pan. That was really cool. Yeah. Oh, epic moments. Yeah. <laughs> Tarantino-esque. That's when I started to... Like, those kind of things make you definitely go, it's the same guy 50 years before. Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't. Yeah. So so after his kid goes missing, it jumps to like eight years later or something, right? Like he's... And and there's a lot of just like, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with trauma where you jog a lot and your wife wants to connect with you and yeah. she's, she's even yeah. saying things like, maybe you should sign this death certificate and come to the terms with the fact that your son yeah, is your dead. Is, I'm going for a run. Missing and still out there. Yeah, and then you just put those joggers on and you go for another run to, you know, jog off those demons, sweat them out. To run away from the pain, right? Absolutely. Yeah. They get a call. Well, John Hamm gets a call and it's like um, some tradies have like uncovered this box while digging and uh, and they go there and it's a crime scene and they found this body in this box of a child and this whistle and it's like a kind of deformed skeleton. It's clearly been in there a long time. And John Hamm's like, maybe this is it. I've been looking for the body for eight years of my son. Maybe this is it. And then immediately there's just a scene with this forensics person who's like, it's not your son. It's some other kid. He's been in there for 50 years. And how jarring was John Hamm's response? Yeah. He's just like, not not emotional at all. We believe that he believes this is his kid. And he's just like, are you sure? Are you sure this yeah. isn't my kid? It looks just like my kid. He's He's got the whistle. He's, but he's like, he's fine with it. Yeah. Like he's obviously deeply fucked up about it because he has to go for a run every time his <laughs> yeah. wife brings it up. But then when he's faced with his dead son, he's like, this is my dead son. Yeah. All right. And and so like, you, you know, we're still going, oh, maybe she's wrong. But then she pulls out the science and she's like, no, this kid's been in there for over 50 years. He's even got a coin in his pocket from 1958. <laughs> he also has like a brain deformity, which your kid didn't have. So it's definitely a different kid. And John Hamm's reaction should basically be to like, does anyone have my joggers? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do, do you need to be an expert in forensics to recognize that that kid's been underground for more than eight years? Like... He looked mummified. I mean, she was a she was a forensic expert because they did a remodel of the kid and she knew how long his hair was. <laughs> <laughs> that was not cool. Is that yeah. That was like the funniest bit of the movie. She's just like recreated his face perfectly, pulls up a pinata head. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was John Hamm's best acting. He was like, this is incredible. Yeah, yeah. He was literally like, he was he was blown away yeah. by how good the model was. So realistic. Yeah. So the, that happens like an hour in, but I guess it's a point where they're trying to get the public to maybe say like, hey, does anyone know who this kid was that died 50 years ago? So yeah, they, they recreate the kid's head with like a model of actual like, yeah, a pinata kind of like cardboard model or something, and they show it on the news and stuff. Um, you'd think nowadays they'd do like an awesome 3D digital like recreation of the face, but no, they, they're like holding up this pinata and being like, does anyone recognize this kid from 50 years ago? <laughs> Which is just the crazy. same hair length and hairstyle. Yeah. yeah. And John Hamm should be like, oh, yeah, that's definitely not my son. I, I believe you now. There's also this like side plot that gets introduced at the same time where they found this body where John Hamm starts going on about this old man in prison called 
uh, like Rogiani or something. Mm. And, and you know, they just throw a few lines out like, oh, he did a whole bunch of other murders that he's confessed to, but he's never confessed to your son's murder and they never found his body. But John, John Hamm can't accept that. He's like, yeah. nah, there's no way. I know it was this guy. I have a feeling. I feel it in my bones. Yeah. So they set that up fairly early. But, and con- concurrently, there's the storyline. We've now, we've now met... Down on his luck, father. Three boys. Um, in the first scene that we're introduced to him, his uh, wife kills herself, hangs herself. Yeah. So that was a bit rough. I missed that. Uh, so then he's like, "Shit!" A- and also, and also, he goes to the bank and says, "Hey, please let me keep my house, even though I can't make any payments on it." And they say no. So it's all falling apart. His wife kills himself. He puts his three boys in a car and drives off to his sister's house, uh, and and they foreclose on the house. Uh, he goes to meet his sisters, his sister, uh, in the hope that she will look after his three boys while he goes out, gets a job, makes some money, and is able to provide for his kids eventually. Yeah. So I guess the problem is that um, his sister's husband is not very uh, hospitable. Not a fan of retards. <laughs> I, I wish you hadn't said that, but oh, really? yes. Sorry, <laughs> he, my bad. Yeah, Declan wanted that line. He was saving that one. <laughs> <laughs> so he... Hey, look, if someone's going to say it on the podcast, it's going to be me, right? Yeah. And and I don't know if you guys have seen The Walking Dead, but that guy uh, plays a pretty strong character in The Walking Dead. He's kind of like a, a, a redneck uh, guy with a with literally red hair and, and, a, and a nice... Um, uh, handlebar moustache and basically he says like we'll take two of the kids but we can't take all three and then i think he literally says something insulting about you know i don't want the the stupid one or something like that and it's unfortunate but it means that our man in the 50s josh lucas has to take his one disabled child along with him oh that's a much better way of describing yeah. him disabled but you're just speaking in the parlance that they would have used in the 50s right you're just trying to get into that yeah, that sort of 50s terminology. Yep. Okay. Yeah. To come to your defense a little bit, this is the way that they really do use this terminology a lot. Yeah. I think the thing that he actually called him in that he's like, I don't want the queer one. That's right. Which was, it was a very confusing thing. Because, you know, a lot of these movies when they start, I'm trying to figure out why is this a 0%? <laughs> and the subject matter, I was like, gotcha. I, I figured it out. People fucking hated this because, yeah. There's something kind of powerful about being able to say, I don't want the queer one, which is insulting to two different minorities in one. Yeah, well, this is the thing. The kid, I was expecting that the acting job from him was going to be really over the top. And there was an aspect of it where I was like, uh, he's going a bit far. But then I was like, this kid is not really unmanageable. Yeah. Like, no one really... He just needed... No, he he's just not a troublemaker. A bit of extra support or something seemed fine. Yeah, not doing anything out of the ordinary. Like the only thing I noticed was he said he won't flush the outhouse toilet, and then his yeah. dad was like, "Well, you can't flush it." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like yeah. that's the moment where you realize he's retarded. Like yeah, like that he doesn't get it. It took me a few times of them saying that he was a bit special oh, for, for it to click for me. I'm like, why do they keep referring to that kid as like needing extra help and stuff? It, it, Cause yeah, he, he seemed yeah relatively able minded. It's just weird because they're like, we'll take the other two boys, but we can't take that, that other one. Cause he's like, I mean, they all sleep in the same bed. It's very manageable. Yeah, he wasn't shown to be like a real handful. He was just like a very happy-go-lucky child. But uh, maybe I guess I guess it's trying to illuminate a stigma or something from back then, right? Yeah. Anyway, look, I, I feel like we can we can fast forward through a bit of this story. Oh, before we fast forward, I just want to also say that the kid though is I think, you know, the the family that he drops the kids off to, I think they all think the reason that his wife is hung herself is because of that mm, kid. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and they do blame the husband a bit for it. They're kind of like, maybe she'd still be here. Yeah, and yeah. He he obviously doesn't take that well. So the this old dad, Josh Lucas, goes to a new town with his son in the car, and uh, he goes to a gas station. He meets Marina Baccarin from from Deadpool and Firefly and first season of Homeland. And she's like the pretty lady that works at the gas station. And he, he's just talking to her. It's friendly. But then her like, you know, crazy husband comes in and is like, don't talk well, to her. Well, she's hanging up washing. Yeah. 
she's hanging up washing on the line and then one of the sheets falls off and he goes and picks it up and then she goes whoops guess i better start all over now it's like you dropped one sheet come on (laughs) Is it really? Is it really that big yeah, a deal? In the director's cut, she has OCD, so she takes it all down again and does it a second time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She does three loops of the outhouse. Now, if you're married to like a very attractive woman, and I guess you'd say punching above your weight, are you also very insecure about it all the time? That if you see her even talking to another guy, you're like, "You better get out of here, or I'll kill you." <laughs> Pulling a gun was so so funny. <laughs> did not see that coming at all and when it happened it just felt so 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 outrageous i loved it it's my favorite part in the movie yeah i mean every scene with this couple the affectionately mentioned as the sexy wife in the uh, wikipedia summary uh hi uh sorry i've just realized there's a bunch of people yelling my name from the other side of the door. I'm so sorry. Oh, God. Is there a fire? Is there a fire the, in the house right now? I, I got to go check. All Hold right. on. Give me... What's up? Oh, gee. <laughs> All right, cool. So it looks like the speaker I rigged up in Mitch's house has worked. We can continue on. Uh, Do you want to just mute his screen? Yeah, Mitch has ordered some food mid-podcast, which is always good audio. I love a meal update. What do you think's in there? Some sort of double bacon, beef and cheese and tragen burger? Something like that? Definitely. Some sort of some sort of pineapple. Sorry, guys. In- I'm really yes. sorry. What you got there, Mitchie? Yes. I got like a bunch of burgers. We can pick up where That's you left it. off. Is there beef and bacon? Is there beef and bacon on that burger? Yeah, tell us what you got. I got a chicken hunger tamer. Hungry Jack's fried chicken is really doing me a service lately. It was meant to come a long time ago, uh, so I'm... I'm very sorry, guys. We love a mid-show sponsor. It's very good stuff. Menulog want to come in. Snoop Dogg wants to come on the but show. you got to say it's from DoorDash. Apparently, they give out a lot of podcast sponsorships. Shout-outs to DoorDash, the place that brings you food. You can eat it mid-podcast. Yeah, shout-out to DoorDash. DoorDash sponsor? Thanks for I'll interrupting our fucking podcast, DoorDash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Where was I? What was I talking about? It really doesn't matter because it was boring. <laughs> All right, all right. But that, I think it was going to be my turn to talk again soon. No, you, you said you said that the Wikipedia article was describing the woman as something as sexy woman, as a sex, number three. sexy woman number three, yeah. sexy wife. Yes, Marina Baccarin plays the sexy wife, and the other guy is listed as stupid husband. Oh wow. <laughs> Matthew goes to sexy wife's home and threatens stupid <laughs> husband. Why is this in the? They have they have names. Yeah, That's I why. know. It's amazing. I, I loved reading through it for bits like uh, suddenly the sexy wife appears and Matthew lost sight of his son at the bar's backyard. The sexy wife and Matthew are about to have a sexual relationship. When Matthew returns to the bar, his fun is somehow spoiled. He cannot find John anywhere. So this is this is the problem, isn't it? Wikipedia can be uh, edited by anyone, right? And if you have a lot of people see a movie, they can really get into the details. Because this movie's impossible to find, there's one guy <laughs> just doing it from memory. Yeah. And he's like the wife. sexy wife and the angry husband. <laughs> <laughs> and Marina Baccarin, again, was not... She had already done Firefly. She'd just come off Homeland to do this movie. She wasn't like a nobody. So you'd hope she was signing on for a better role than just like sexy wife. Yeah, exactly. So what happens? Uh, yeah, he, he he gets in trouble with the with the wife's husband. He runs away. He goes to a hairdresser to ask for directions and a place to sleep and if there's any jobs. He gets told like, oh yeah, you can go talk to this guy I know who's a laborer kind of thing and he might be able to give you a job. But while he's talking to this hairdresser, a creepy, almost Zodiac-like shadowy figure comes up to his son in the car and like jingles a little toy in front of the son and we're thinking, oh, God, this whoever this guy is, he's going to kidnap the son. And then um, the dad comes back and he's like, oh, my God, my son's not in the car. Oh, he's just there. He's just like standing on the street looking at shops or something. Yeah, that's creepy. Um, so it's a little fake out, but we know that there's some danger. We know that even in the 50s, <laughs> stranger danger existed. I don't know what happens with the John Hamm storyline after this point because that's when that other story yeah, is... Yeah, what's happening present day? Yeah, because the 50s story just takes off then. He goes to his job interview, his big job interview, where the only questions asked are, are you Christian and do you have a son? And that's enough. That's, that, isn't that the good old days? <laughs> yeah. Just rocking up and being like, I've yeah. got a family and I'm Christian. All right, go talk to that guy over there. Start <laughs> lifting bricks. 
Yeah. It, in the meantime, John Hamm is like sporadically investigating. He, you know, he'll like, I don't know, look around with a magnifying glass or something. <laughs> and then it goes back to the 50s. And you're like, well, I kind of care about what's happening in the 50s now. I want to see where this goes. Yes. Um, yes. So, so John Hamm gets a job with Bill Burns. Um, as a as a labourer, and there's two other guys that work there. There's a young, handsome James Van Der Beek, and there's also the guy from Mindhunter who isn't the king in Hamilton, and he's an actor called Holt McCallany, um, who's just kind of like a good, good, tough-looking guy, and he gets a job, but of course they're like, you can't bring your son on the on the job site. It's not Holden Ford. Why is he not the king from Hamilton? Why do you make that distinction? Because in Mindhunter, there's two guys, and it's this guy and also the king from Hamilton. Oh, I see. Jonathan Groff. It's gotcha. the Swede. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There are nicknames for everyone on the building site. There's the Swede. There's Christian. There's the Italian. There's um, Diploma. Diploma. That's what they keep calling. Oh, Diploma. They really hit that hard eye. That's how you know it's the fifth. Yeah, yeah. Diploma is the dumbest nickname I've oh, ever heard. By the it? way, I, oh my god, I don't get that at all. Is it? Is it because he's the only one who like finished university it or something? Never got explained. Did he actually? <laughs> did he have a diploma? Did that ever get explained? I think he was. I think he's a college boy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's book smart. Was that his only hobby that was important to this movie? That he was book smart. Yeah, well. he was like the only one who read books. There was something wrong with the boy. Well, I mean, nothing else. Clearly, there was something wrong with his books. Uh, spoiler alert: he he he's he's a killer. Did anyone did anyone at this point not like? Is that true? Is he really the baddie? Yeah, he's the baddie. Like like did, did was was it supposed to be a surprise? Because I certainly was like, oh yeah, obviously he's the killer. <laughs> okay, well at this point, if we're jumping around, I mean. Ruben, did you have any suspicions? Was that a real who done it? <laughs> yeah, I, we need to know. I'm not gonna lie, I missed uh, all the little uh, signs, all the Easter eggs pointing to Dawson <laughs> being the uh, killer. But I, uh, I, I, I just genuinely thought that it was gonna be the, uh, I don't know, the Swede or the boss. I didn't see. Diploma oh. being the guy. And I thought the boss would have been like, hey, if he doesn't have a kid, then he can work. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah right. And so uh, we got to say, at some point, Josh Lucas's kid does go missing when he's like working on this job site and he spends a good few, like a week looking for the kid. Oh, yeah. And Dawson really helps him out, spends all night like walking around with the torch. And then at the end of this, it reveals that Dawson is the one like locking the body up into a box and like killing the guy. And until then, I thought it was going to be a story of Josh Lucas like having to kill his own kid to kind of move on in like a right. mercy killing kind of situation. Yeah. But no, it just turns out Dawson Creek himself is like an actual psychopathic child murderer um, <laughs> for no reason. And not only that, but he'll he'll murder your child and then hold your hand looking through the forest for it all yeah. night. Wow. Yeah. So can, let's let's walk walk through the the bar scene. I think you know what. It may just have been that he was one of the only other actors I knew. And so I was like, well, he must be the killer because I recognize him. <laughs> it could have been as simple as that. <laughs> so he, he facilitates some sort of murder at the bar by making sure that... What's her name? Sexy Wife? and Yeah, Sexy Wife. Rose. And then the main character, who's now the main character. John Hamm's no longer the main character. He facilitates their getting it on after making sure that the little boy gets in the back of the car. And then, is she in on it? Is nah. it like a conspiracy theory? But- no. No, no, okay. no. I guess she just really wants it. I mean, it did escalate very quickly. Uh, I mean, I didn't see it coming. Yeah, you guys know me. Like, I've had um, tons of sex with, like, all the same person. Mm. And I've never just, like, pushed a woman up no. against, like, a wood cabin wall and done it on the front porch. That's a new one. Even for me. Well, I think she. I think the problem with her, and it's a problem with a lot of the female characters in these movies, is that she suffers from nymphomania, <laughs> and it's a serious um, diagnosis that needs to be addressed, and wasn't addressed back in the fifties. <laughs> That's true. Uh, really holds a mirror up to the fifties, doesn't it? This film. It's so good yeah. how, like the the bartender at the end, like nothing's explained from him, but they pull him to the cop shop that night, and he goes, "Nah, nah." And then that's it. Yeah, I never so even saw him. You never yeah. understand. <laughs> you don't understand yeah. his motivation. Like, why is he trying to cover this up? Yeah, <laughs> I I think he's just 
doesn't want anyone to know that the woman was at the bar because the husband's such it's a crazy, crazy. guy. Yeah. Uh. So so they're like, you you were at the bar. You were, you saw my kid there. Then what happened to him? And he's just like, I I don't know nothing. I didn't see nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. And then about. five seconds after that moment, Dawson is nailing the box. It's like <laughs> no build up, no suspense. He's nailing yeah. the box after that scene. Yeah. I also like that there's like they've got this harebrained scheme. So so they're at the bar late at night. The the father's like, I got to get my son home to sleep. Uh, James Vanderbeek is like, Nah, you should stay. The sexy wife is here. You your your answer to your problems is right in front of you. Just become friends with the sexy wife and then she will babysit your kid forever i don't know so then yeah. he goes he, he eventually does he he goes and has sex with her and then yeah. he's like wow this was nice we could do it should do it again sometime maybe you could look after my kid and she's like huh, yeah i don't think so and he's he's like what the fuck i just no. i just fucked you james bro. vanderbeek said she would look after my kid <laughs> Yeah, exactly. you know what he actually says. Yeah, he's he's like, you know, that was great. We should do it again. We could look after my kid. She's like, uh, and then he goes like, uh, pulls his pants up and goes, "This was a mistake." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Maybe that's just the way things were in the fifties. I don't know. Seems odd to me. It's a great adaptation of uh, you know problematic fifties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, the problem with the James Vanderbeek big reveal is that I don't know if it's just that my screen is really bright, but I could see that it was James Vanderbeek when he was l- luring <laughs> him in. And I was like, oh. Because in the shadows, right? Yeah. The <laughs> diploma is a big problem. Well, you could also see, you, you could see when he, when he first gave him the little toy in the car. And then at the end of that sequence, it shows the back of his head in the car. You could sort of tell mm. that that was, even though he hadn't gotten the job with him yet. If you go back and look at that, it's clearly so him. May- maybe it was that, and I'd read in the credits beforehand that James Vanderbeek was in the movie, so I saw the back of his head. Like, right. oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought there was a funny uh, little plot hole when James Vanderbeek uh, starts pouring cement onto the body, but the body got dug up out of dirt. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> How did they find the body in dirt if he's poured cement over it? Like. Yeah, and yeah. My brain was just trying to make sense of it. Like, well, is it just wet dirt or mud? I don't know. I I work indoors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Concrete was invented in 1960, so yeah, probably. There you yeah. go. It was a later. Don Draper. He brought it in. When Jim James Vanderbeek buried that, I guess it was almost in like a box that you hold a ventriloquist dummy in or something, wasn't it? It was like a, mm. um, was it daytime or nighttime? I seem to remember it just like being daytime and him just doing it in the middle of the day on the job site, just being like, oh, I'm pouring some concrete yeah. on this area. Yeah. And no one being like, what's that box that you're putting in there first? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a structural box. We need to put it there. Otherwise, the thing we're building. No, that's right. The Swede goes up to him and says, you need to do the cement now. Yeah. And then there's a box just in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think the box connection is explained in uh, the present day with the, the, the lady in the present day who, um, I'm sorry, she does not have a name. Uh, she's the forensics lady. Uh, she made the pinata head. <laughs> Sexy forensic lady. <laughs> I think she explains that, that it's the toy company and that's the link to the bunny with the drum that all the older victims have. Yeah. Yeah. At least the yeah the two yeah At which was again it's like you got your whistles and then you got your bunny thing that gets melted it's it's kind of the same thing you don't really need both yeah which totem mm. was the, mm. that was so weird what the fuck <laughs> what's even weirder about this is I'm trying to figure out what actually connects these two cases because from the beginning he's sure that it's the guy that killed his son yeah. Which is which is the worst plot thing when you're like, I'm pretty sure it's that old man who's in prison for admitting to all the child murders. <laughs> He's admitted to everyone except for mine, but I'm pretty sure it's him. And they're like, well, no, nah, because we never found a body and he never admitted to it. And guess what? It turns out, Morgan, it was the old man the whole time. It that the just Sham show, was right. It was James Vanderbeek and old man makeup. Yeah. And 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 he sits down with him and gets him to confess. So you're like. Ham knew all along. He he didn't have to find any clues or anything. He just he knew. So Vanderbeek was in old man makeup. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Oh shit! I gotta go back and watch this. It was really good. Just the crustiest James Vanderbeek you'll ever see. 
Yeah. Does he like oh, man, try good. to embody the physicality of an old man or is he just... He's sitting yeah. down. Oh, cool. So, it doesn't do a lot of movement. But there's just something about like young people pretending to be old. Their voice is still too strong. Their eyes still blink too fast or something. You can never quite pull it off. I thought that everyone did a good job in this movie and I thought he did okay at being an old man. Well, I just didn't understand um, like if the whole movie is about finding his son's body... Like, they never found his son's body. <laughs> no, they do find it at the end. They do. Wait, do they? They do. Yeah, yeah, right at the very end. They um. Oh, is this post credits? No, no, no. This is right before the credits. Yeah, right after the blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> basically, basically, John Hamm... Um, there's one last bit of the story that connects the two together. So, John Hamm is, is advertising the model head for the, for the kid in the 50s. Does anyone identify this body? Um, an old man comes to the scene of the crime and they and, and they take his number plate. Anyway, they end up talking to the two brothers of the young disabled boy who are now, you know, old men. And they're kind of like, oh, we never really knew what happened. Our dad took our brother. And then he, I think he said that he went somewhere, like he lied to them about him dying and going missing because he felt so guilty, right? And then there was uh, a woman who who raised the two she she's in it and and also jessica chastain as 50s waitress also plays like old lady waitress who who tells the story and she tells hold on hold on yeah i think that the lady was the cousin because she had some dirt on her face (laughs) and her as a little girl also had dirt on her face (laughs) okay okay That's real. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Is it a birthmark? Yeah. Yeah. Because she seemed too young to be the aunt. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. She was a cousin. Yeah. That's so funny. So, so John Ham's meeting all these old people, and they're telling yeah, the story. I just couldn't, I just couldn't understand why she had dirt on her face. Because it's the same girl. Yeah, direct. She's had it there since she was a little girl. Yeah. There was also a part where um where after Josh Lucas's son had went missing and he could never find him or anything and he was distraught. He he follows this dad and a young kid into an alley because he thinks the kid might be his from behind, has a similar hairstyle, and he like beats the shit out of the dad in the alley, grabs the kid, and then it just has to do the old like, oh, you're not my son, and just like just runs away. Um, he was that desperate. Is that what Ham does? Do you say? No, it's the old man from back in the day. Oh, because there's already there's a moment earlier on when it's the fourth of July and he's looking for his son at the diner and he's like, "Son, come yeah. back!" And it's like, it's not the son. So they've already used yeah. that trick. There's only so many times you can pull like a <laughs> a bowl cut kid hair and be like, "Oh no, you're not my son." <laughs> also, don't you know what your kid was wearing? Like you dressed them. They, you know. And anyway, John Hamm meets all the oldies. They tell him the whole story that we've been seeing in the flashbacks, and this is where we finally learn is like right at the end, the cousins like. Uh, he he only had a couple of friends. One of them was this guy, Diploma, and it's young James Van Der Beek, and that's where John Hamm is like, oh my god, that's Rogiani or whatever. And so he's, he's got the same tattoo. Yeah, he's, he's got in got prison tattoos. looking through a book of his own tattoos. <laughs> yeah, that was so weird. <laughs> the book. Oh. <laughs> he just he... Oh, they never show Rogiani old. With the tat that just yeah. showed the book. The <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I got a nice tattoo. I should draw it. <laughs> and so then John Hamm goes to the old man in prison. It's it's Vanderbeek in in old man makeup, and he questions him about like, where were you in spring of 1958? Which has got to be like, uh, I have no idea. That was half a century ago. Mm. But he knows where he was, and then he even says uh, the the horrible line. Who cares? That retard's been dead and buried for 50 years. Wow. Like, why are you even asking about it kind of thing? And then, and then, but that's actually a clue because John Hamm goes, who said anything about being retarded? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I laughed so And that's the hell. climax of the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. He, he caught him. He got him. Yeah. That was, that was the bit. Trapped in his web. I yeah. didn't say he was <laughs> retarded. <laughs> 2009 Jesus. was a weird time. James, uh, uh, John Hamm just starts like, you know, brings him into the, an interrogation room and is doing the kind of like detective thing where he's walking around and asking him questions and he's playing it cool. At that point, you know, he like tips his hand and then he's got him. And then finally, he's just like, did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy killing these people? And for some reason, he just goes, I only enjoyed it one time. There was a little boy and he led me to his favorite tree and underneath the fireworks, I snapped his neck. 
And we just know that that was John Hamm's son now. And we're like, oh God, he's just admitting to it. So that's it. Well, here's the thing. That doesn't make any sense because he goes and apparently he's the guy who's dressed as Uncle Sam. But when we see Uncle Sam at the beginning of the movie, he's giving out balloons to a group of children in broad daylight. Yeah. No fireworks. So why is he taking him to see the fireworks underneath the tree in the middle of the fucking day? What also doesn't make sense is how many kids has he killed or murdered or kidnapped up till that point and he hasn't enjoyed any of it. And then it's like, this is the one. And he really... (laughs) I agree. Yeah. But also, like, when when it's uncovered that he did kill this kid from 50 years back, he said, like, he makes this big speech about, well, actually, I did it for the good of his father. I was, yeah. you know, get, doing him a favor. He needed a job. He needed to make money. You know, this little kid was standing in his way. I was trying to do the right thing, which, I don't know, maybe that is a motive, but then it doesn't make sense that he goes and kills a bunch of other kids. Yeah, he really sells it like he was doing an altruistic thing or mm. even, you know, a... a bad-minded but good-intentioned thing. I was helping this guy out. So I killed his son, buried him in concrete, and I'm only now admitting to it. But is it's it's quite heavily implied that he's admitted to other child murders in between, right. right, as well, because he's in prison for life. Yes. And so does he know that John Hamm is looking for his son? Is it like part of the public thing that you're like, hey, that's that cop who lost his son? And is he taunting well, him he- or is he just... Admitting to it now. They've met before, you know. John Hamm's been in there and questioned him and pushed him, so he's like, "Ah, oh, this fuck with yeah. again." Um, so I think he sort of takes a bit of pleasure in being an asshole to John Hamm. And with that haircut, why wouldn't you? <laughs> we must have. We don't get to see it, but we know that John Hamm must have regularly come to that prison and just been like, "I I know it was you. Just admit it." And him being like, "Sorry, I got nothing to admit." Until now, when he finally admits to two extra With murders, no, no interrogation. It's just he admits. It's so yeah. But the the point is that he like when he when he explains how he enjoyed it, he's like, I enjoyed doing it under this tree. Yeah, and that's how John Hamm knows that's where the son's body is. He goes to the tree, has a funeral. That's the end of the movie. Oh, okay. We haven't mentioned at all that John Hamm has a wife in this movie who's played by an actress called Rona Mitra. And I'm watching this movie, and I've seen her in a couple things. She was in Nip Tuck. She was in the good seasons of Nip Tuck. She was in Ali G. Yes, yes, in the house. And, yeah, she's English. She's doing a pretty good American accent in this. But I'm watching her, and I'm like, she reminds me so much of Kate Beckinsale, who's also English and just looks like her. And I'm saying to Alex, I'm saying, like, doesn't she look like Kate Beckinsale? And I start Googling it. She replaced Kate Beckinsale in Underworld 3 and then Kate Beckinsale came back for Underworld 4 and I think 5. So there's, if you watch the Underworld series, they just have this actress come in for Kate Beckinsale and then she goes away and Kate Beckinsale comes back. I'm going to cut you off there because as an avid fan of the Underworld franchise, Underworld 3 is Rise of the Lycans, which explains the war between the werewolf and vampire communities. And I guess she plays the ancestor to Kate Beckinsale. Uh, Anyway, she gets murdered and, you know, it's fucking sick. It's just like a bunch of uh, wolf suits versus people in armor. Uh, It's the best movie you'll ever see. (laughs) Well... I've got nothing else to say about this movie. <laughs> does anyone else? No. Yeah. Does anyone have their top moments, Ruben? Look, I just think my favorite moment was when uh, in the old days, what's his name? The uh, actor, the lead actor of the Josh movie. Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas. I think, uh, you know, the movie, it's got a few plot holes and a few bits that don't make sense, but I'd say it was my favorite movie I've seen this year <laughs> and... The moment where after he beats up that old dad and then shakes the child and realizes it's not him, he runs off and he runs over to uh, Jessica Chastain and she she fixes him up a sandwich and he says no and doesn't eat it, but then he returns. And, and you know there and then that no other actress could be the one that you would return to for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> unless it were Jessica Chastain herself. For someone with a name as big as hers, I spe- I mean, she's blossomed a lot in recent years, but, like, 
even back then it was like, how did she only get 30 seconds of screen time? <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. she. You know what? She was going for the role of sexy wife, but she could only book small waitress character. <laughs> Caring and loving wife. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Ruben, we also like to give these movies or potatoes, as we like to call them, yeah. a rating out of 10. What, what would you rate this? Oh, 10 potatoes. Absolutely. 10 potatoes. Wow. 10 That's potatoes. a high rating. The first term we've ever had. That might be the highest rating. It's the best movie I've seen this year. <laughs> And we're quite late in the year as well. We're in October now. It's not. You know, I'm going to also add uh, a big 10 glasses of uh, Pinot Noir to that one because I recommend people watch it because it's got a film noir sense to it. <laughs> ah. oh, I guess I guess it kind of does have like a mystery to it. But Well, John Hamm's in it. Yeah. John Hamm's in it. And in Mad Men, he sort of... War Trilby had at points. That's kind of film noiry. <laughs> Actually, the the game La Noir has like five people from Mad Men in it. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, finally. So what Ruben said isn't complete nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> We've justified it. It's a great film, and I highly recommend. I'll step in with a little a little ranking. Then this is a soft four for me. Um, really, really hard to get through. There's uh, not a whole lot. Soft four. Wasn't that your nickname in high school? Oh, I, I set him up and he knocks him down. Um, <laughs> yes, it was, but I was hoping you wouldn't remember that. What did it? What did it mean again? <laughs> I believe it refers to the length of your or how many fingers you have or something. <laughs> yeah, had soft little fingers, and they had four of them. Um, but yeah. yeah, not not enough really transpired in this movie to call it a full story there was like two or three things that happened i mean again i didn't i didn't see the whole thing and it sounds like i missed the best bits where james vanderbeek is dressed up like an old man and um some some real plot twists happen it sounds like look it's a story as old as time i've already said it it's a four out of ten <laughs> hayden what do you think yeah um yeah surprisingly i i kind of liked this movie I mean, I never take much pleasure in... It's always like, oh, fuck, I have to sit down and watch another one of these things. And and I still sort of wanted it to be over. But I don't know, it kind of left an impression on me. And I, I guess the old story, as old as the time that Morgan alluded to earlier from the 50s, was sort of engaging. And I wanted to see where that go went. And I did kind of want to see the two stories converge in some way. I don't know. I didn't think it was. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad, to be honest. Um, I want to give it a six. Um, uh, I mean, there were, there are a bunch of dumb things about it, but you know, you can watch a dumb movie and really enjoy it. And I kind of enjoyed it. I have kids. It's hard to watch movies where kids go missing and they're stolen and stuff like that. That always gets me. So I think maybe that's why I sort of like tuned into it a bit more. It's like it it tugged at me a little bit. Um, also, uh, John Hamm's very handsome, you know? So, mm. six out of ten. Mm, but he had that haircut. Yeah. The haircut's got to bring it down a point or two, though, surely. All right, fine. Five. Yeah. My girlfriend did say, he is very handsome just in the middle out of nowhere. And I was like, <laughs> do I need to get my shotgun and fight this guy off? <laughs> just don't let her go out and hang the washing on the line. <laughs> yeah, no. Exactly. Um, yeah. A woman's place is not hanging the washing on the line. Um I I actually quite enjoyed this movie uh, to a certain extent. It was definitely watchable, uh, one of the better ones. Um, I know I've said that a lot lately, but we we've watched some really tough tough slogs, and this one was was quite high up. It didn't stick the landing. <laughs> it didn't quite um, clearly show the two stories that they like. <laughs> they got connected too late, and and they could have done some other things. But I appreciate what they were going for. Um, I know that they were trying. I know that Anders Anderson was trying to get out of the embarrassment of his name and just create a work of art. And, you know, it was all well acted. It looked pretty nice. It was a good, it was a solid movie, but it wasn't good. I can see why no one gave it a great rating. And that's why I give it a 5.2. I'd say it's a bad movie. You don't have to see it. But if you can be one of the rare people who can find a copy of it, just join the club and watch it. Heck yeah. Mitch? Yeah. I guess I'll round us out. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with Hayden. Other than, you know, it didn't tug on my heartstrings, but, you know, I had fun. It was pretty much sitting at a five all the way through, uh, but at the end, you know, I was laughing. So, 
it brings it to at least a six. So yeah, it, it's a recommend. I don't think it's rotten to the point where I wouldn't take a big bite of that potato. It was great. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire here, Mitch. What did you give? A thousand words? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's two. Jesus. Uh, three point five. Three point five. Three point five. You thought this was better than a thousand words? Yeah, I had fun with this movie. And all the acting was good, right? I haven't seen a thousand words, but what? is there a moment where someone? takes his kid to a toilet and then someone pulls a shotgun on him like this is filmmaking it is reckless and the filmmaker well exactly he clearly doesn't care about following trends that all other filmmakers have done and i think he's trying new things and he's you yes. know inspiring yes. anyone to become a filmmaker because preach go off king you, you can have any rules you like plots aren't meant to make sense <laughs> so true <laughs> you know what? This was a memorable movie. Um, and what about you, R- Ruben? What comes to your mind when I ask you, what's the most memorable gig you've played? Ah, the most memorable gig. Well, I guess it, it yeah, comes down to gigs that remind me of this movie, to be honest. And <laughs> I, I remember once uh, playing in Marimbula to around four people and each of those four people, you know, you could tell they were having a great time so we ended up having a great time and we danced and had the music as loud as we could go and we jumped around and screamed and it was weirdly pathetic but in a really fun loving way <laughs> and that's how i that's feel cool. about this film that's awesome <laughs> this movie reminded me of um of a gig we we kind of did together back in the day, probably around the same time this movie was either being written or filmed, you know, 2007, 2008. This is what you were searching for when you asked Ruben the question. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Rubicon and Pleased to Jive, you were going to play at the Civic Youth Center. And do you remember this? They'd like double booked it or something. And so we all got there and they were just like, oh, we can't have you play. Um, and supposedly you got very angry about it and we're like up in the guy's face <laughs> and we're just like where are we meant to go i've got tons of i've invited everyone to this bro our drummer reckons that his dad had to kind of like prevent you guys from fighting these these youth center workers um youth center workers they're just yeah. trying to like <laughs> but i believe the resolution was um we must have just hit uh the conway brothers mum up and we were just like can we play in the garage and we and we moved the gig to like their garage and played like out to the open street and moved all the people that were coming to the youth center just to this house. Wow, that is uh, that is bringing on some good old memories. Yeah, <laughs> look when when support workers don't give you their yeah. <laughs> what you want, yeah. you must fight them. Hundred percent, hundred percent, bro. <laughs> That's how it Support goes. workers are scum, man. They're disgusting. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're too protected. The whole community services section, sector is just <laughs> a nonce. Full of corruption and abuse, yeah. and it's about yeah. time someone stood up to them. Damn straight. And look, maybe if the disability sector was around in the 1950s, then it wouldn't, wouldn't have panned out like it did for this young man. Yeah. Exactly. And Ruben, have you got uh, any new music or anything that you want to plug coming up in the pipeline? Absolutely. Uh, just dropped a new EP with uh, Yoga about two weeks ago. Uh, there's eight tracks on it. Sweet. And it's, um, it's a fun time. Some spaghetti western clownish songs in there and uh yeah it's called you're only great always too nice so the the yoga music is um it's the type of stuff you go to like a nightclub in ibiza and you just rock out all night to it isn't it it's uh, <laughs> not quite it's uh i don't know what it is i'm still figuring that out but it sounds uh sounds like someone who's just been noodling and doodling and not trying to make sense out of anything and I think this film that we just watched is going to uh, its going to resonate well with yoga fans. Uh, anyone who's into the music, the music doesn't make much sense. And I think the film, it's, it, they're, they're two peas in a pod, and I wish I got to score this film. Oh, wow. So your yoga music, that, that you play guitar and do you sing on it as well? It's like a totally different style. It's a lot more melancholy and 
an indie, isn't it? Yeah, totally. I guess I haven't really sung on any uh, duck songs. So yeah, for yoga, it's a, a fun opportunity to just uh, include my voice as an instrument and just have something where I'm sort of playing everything except for uh, like drums, obviously. I cannot drum and uh, Tully Ryan has drummed on every yoga track and he's a he's a beast. So I'm, I'm glad I can work with him. But yeah, I guess it's musically this uh, second EP is, I don't know, it reminds me a lot of the stuff I was listening to when I was growing up in the 90s. There's a bit of 90s grunge going on, quite a bit of it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's fun just having something which is different to all I've done for the last 10 years, which is just anthemic dance bangers, put your hands up, I beat that. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. You've uh, you've been a great guest. You watched the movie. You you finished the movie, which is always tough. There's a few hurdles to coming on this podcast. Number one, you've got to agree to watch a horrible movie. Number two, you've got to figure out how to play it on some sort of media player, and then you have to finish it. And you jumped all three with absolute aplomb. So we applaud you here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Ruben. you so much for having me. And I'll stand by my 10 <laughs> bags of potatoes for this film. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and a side of butter. It, it's worth it. <laughs> 10 out of 10. That's uh, That might be a first. Yeah, Damn. that literally oh, is the first. Serious. You may be on the wrong show. 